Good evening and welcome. It's Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I'm going to divert from the national headlines right now and get into some of the state headlines. Uh, Clay Tippins running for governor, getting traction actually, um, showing up in the polls. It appears to be in the Republican gubernatorial race, a pretty tight race for second place headed into the runoff, which comes up uh, about a month from today or so, I think. Uh, it's it's in May. Um, so Cagle appears to be in first place, and then Brian Kemp, Clay Tippins, uh, Hunter Hill cluster together in second. Michael Williams as well, I think, although uh, I was talking to a reporter of the AJC, and, and some of the polling that he's seen and the polling I'm seeing is that uh, Kemp is... Um, he and it, it, Hunter Hill and Clay Tippins and, and Kemp are kind of clustered together. It, it, Kemp towards the bottom, Hunter towards the top, Tippins in the center, depending on which poll you look at. And then Williams kind of outside the margin of error um, in third place. Um, but there's still time. And the, the Williams campaign, their polling shows him doing well. So we'll see. Uh, but uh, the AJC, I think, kind of is taking the tack that there's a fight for second place between Kemp and Tippins and Hunter Hill. They don't see Williams as much of a player. I wouldn't count him out yet though. Cause he does have a lot of money uh, to spend in any event. Uh, Clay Tippins has an ad out attacking Casey Cagle and Hunter Hill, which kind of tells you their state of play. Uh, the fact that they're leaving Kemp and Williams out of it, I think kind of highlights that they think the fight is with Hunter Hill for second place in the race. Um, in any event, uh, I want to play this ad for you and then we will talk about it. It has, I, who would have thought, you know, when, when I had Casey Cagle in, I had to congratulate him and tell him I, it was, it was something that he has single-handedly created a new business in Georgia, that of the Casey Cagle impersonator. And Hunter Hill has used one in his ads, Clay Tippins in his, uh, wearing a powder blue tuxedo on a stripper pole, the Casey Cagle in this Tippins advertisement. Casey Cagle talks about his Georgia values, but he championed tax cuts for a strip club. Hunter Hill talks like he's Rambo, but he's really a Benedict Arnold who's for gun control. Just ask the NRA. I'm a businessman and a Navy SEAL. And most importantly, I am what I say I am. I'll cut taxes, crush sex trafficking, and get our kids reading. So let's roll. That's Clay Tippin's ad. Um, so that has come out. It's a AJC says $500,000 ad buy. Um, I've had a couple other people tell me it's actually about $300,000 uh, in actually spent. But it is an ad that's, that's actually running on the airwaves. Uh, TV ad by not huge, even at 500,000, if it's 300 or 500, not massive um, in the Atlanta area outside of Atlanta, though he's building name ID. Uh, and I actually told him, uh, Clay Tippins said he does run a risk doing these ads. His first ad was more biographical than this one. He is getting out there. I'll, I'll tell you that risk. And I want to break down the commercial and, and there's some validity in here to what he's saying. Um, but let's talk about the Georgia gubernatorial race. First, let's go check traffic. So I did tell Clay Tippins that he, I, my concern for him 
is that he does have low name ID, uh, having not been in politics in Georgia before. And if he is going negative on the other candidates before he's had a chance to define himself, uh, Cagle and Kemp in particular have sizable war chests. And it, it is possible he risks real danger. They define him before he gets a chance to define himself because he's so busy attacking them. And normally what you see in negative ads is that as they do have an impact on the other candidates and lower their uh, approval rating, it also hurts the candidate running the negative ad, lowering their approval rating to a degree. Um, but it is a funny ad. Now, uh, what are his charges? Well, I, I don't know that I agree with his characterization on, on the Kegel situation. And the reason is because um, what he's saying, tax cuts for a strip club, especially the Claremont Hotel and Lounge, the very famous institution on Ponce here in Atlanta. Uh, you did have the club at the bottom, but it was actually about restoring the actual hotel there. Uh, I believe they're turning it into apartments or condos that it wound up the actual tax credit um, that was mentioned was used and they closed the lounge. So it didn't actually subsidize the lounge. They closed it to redo that. So um, eh, then if he, if he charged there, the Hunter Hill, when Hunter Hill did real damage to himself uh, at a Georgia bar event, he was asked that came shortly after the Parkland shooting. And he was asked about the gun rights of the second amendment. He stood very, very firm on the Second Amendment, but he he said that, you know, uh, having reciprocal laws matters and it, it's 21 to raise the, to buy a handgun, uh, maybe it should be 21 for semi-automatic weapons. Um, I take him at his word afterwards that he, he misspoke. He's come out subsequently and said he favors lowering the purchase age for a handgun to 18, uh, but he did say that at, at the at the Georgia Bar uh, event, and he did get a C grade from the NRA back in 2012. This is what Tippins is is um, going after. Uh, subsequently, his grade has come up. He I don't think he's had an A rating from the NRA. He did get a B plus rating from the NRA. He's voted for all of the legislation that has come forward, including the campus carry bill that the governor vetoed. Uh, Hunter Hill supported that. Uh, I did ask his campaign, though. The NRA hasn't endorsed him, and the Williams campaign has gone after him on that. According to Hunter Hill's campaign, just so you all know his side of the story here, Hunter Hill's campaign says that they were running in a, a Democrat-leaning district in 2016. Uh, they did not seek the NRA's endorsement because they knew it was going to be a tight race. Hillary Clinton won the district, and they were afraid that any— anything making him look too polarizing to some of the squishy Republican voters in that district would hurt him. That's what his campaign says. They didn't seek or want the NRA endorsement because they thought it might be a liability in that district, but they say they voted. he has voted for every uh, gun rights measure that has come through, including the campus carry legislation the governor vetoed. I did confirm that he did vote for campus carry, uh, the one the governor vetoed. He has voted for all of that legislation, but... He's also on video saying he wanted to, to raise the semi-automatic purchase age to 21. He, he says he, he, just, he, he wasn't thinking. He misspoke. Um, his other statements were in defense of gun rights. So uh, I, I think that Tippins and Williams, Michael Williams, have both seized on Hunter Hill's remarks to the Georgia Bar Association event. There are clips circulating of it. You can see it for yourself online. I, Hunter Hill hurt himself with that. I think objectively so. He did damage to his campaign 
with his statement. And I think the best thing that he could do would be to come out and say, yes, in fact, I did misspeak. I do not support raising the age to 21. I misspoke during that event off the top of my head, and I have supported every gun rights legislation to come to the legislature, and I'm not going to back down. He is running a, a, a online thing, I think, saying that he supports lowering the age from 21 to 18 for handguns, which is really meaningless because that's a federal law, so nothing could change even if he were governor and could get the legislature to pass it. Uh, they couldn't actually do it because of the federal law, so... I think he needs to come out and clarify that. Uh, that's the Clay Tippins ad as other candidates release their ads. We will play them. One thing we're not doing, just so you know, including with this case, uh, the Tippins campaign did reach out to my producer yesterday. We did decide we're not actually going to run ads. We will play the ads of candidates. We'll play all of them, but the condition is they actually have to be purchased ads. Uh, we're not going to have people design ads because they did this in the presidential campaign in 2016 where they would pay for, they would design an ad, send it to us, say, hey, play this, but it wasn't actually running on TV or radio anywhere. I'm not giving free advertising to folks. Um, if you're buying airtime for ads, we're happy to run the ones that everyone else in Georgia is seeing on their TV and radio, but um, not custom stuff. So anyway... Uh, that's where we stand with the current ads. More are coming, and we will play them as they make the rounds. I've only got a short segment here, so I do just want to tell you that when we come back, I want to keep talking about the gubernatorial race. Um, there is some news involving Stacey Abrams. Uh, she is involved and not involved in a slave reparation situation. I will give you the facts on that as this situation heats up related to her. And, I, you know, I got to tell you, I continue, I, I'm, I'm telling you on Clay Tippins that I'm hearing a lot from local business people who've been very impressed by him. Uh, I still think it's, I mean, it, when I was a campaign strategist, I always told my candidates they needed to build themselves up and define themselves before the other side did it. And I, I find it very interesting he's going after Cagle and Hunter Hill, I think that's a pretty big indicator. He thinks that Hunter Hill is the stiff competition for him for the second place, that Kemp and Williams are not. Um, I definitely think Cagle is making it into the runoff. But I will tell you, on the Kemp campaign, we haven't really seen anything from his campaign yet. Uh, he's got a lot of money, and we haven't seen major ad buys from him. And I'm interested to see. I suspect they'll be unveiled soon. And I also think we're probably going to see more from Hunter Hill. I, I will say just objectively, um, Clay Tippins has done a very good job in just the production value of his ads. But so has Casey Cagle. Uh, Cagle's uh, ads defining himself have been very, very sharp. Uh, whether you like the guy or not, and I know conservative grassroots in the States, I hear from a lot of you, you're suspicious of Cagle, uh, and, and it makes you mad that he keeps referring to himself as conservative Cagle in his ads. Well, whether you like it or not, his ads are a very good value, are, are a very good design production. production. So it's going to be interesting to see how these other guys perform as they come out. When we come back, though, let's get into the Democratic side. Um, big issues there. Let me stop for just a minute and promote one of our sponsors. Thanks to Dollar Shave Club for sponsoring this week's show. And, you know, I was actually one of the original members of Dollar Shave Club. Back in the day, I was a lawyer when they came out. They had that awesome ad, and I totally bought into it because I was tired of paying for my razors um, at the grocery store price. It is a great company, and the razors are very, very solid. You go to dollarshaveclub.com, and you can see they got more than just razors and so much better than shop. 
shopping in a grocery store. And, you know, so I got, they sent me a packet before this promo began as if I needed them because I got some. Um, but they got a great razor and they've got great shave cream. They've got a body cleanser. They even have the One Wipe Charlies. I'll let you decide whether or not you like them or not. But, you know, it's a great it's a great product. Uh, really, really do like it. Uh, their Dr. Carver Shave Butter is fantastic. And given that I am prone to rashes and whatnot, I only shave every other day because of it. I'm sure you wanted to know that. Um, but it actually works and I don't break out. Uh, so I highly do recommend Dollar Shave Club. I have been a Dollar Shave Club member for, well, gosh, I was a lawyer. It's been a long time since... I've you how long have they been around? I don't know. Anyway, they've been around forever. Um, solid, solid company. Great people. Great idea too. They were the first. You got all these other competitors out there, and they were the first to come out and say, you know what, we can beat the other guys. So a great innovator. You can clean up your bathroom and your morning routine. Join Dollar Shave Club today for just $5. With free shipping, you'll get the six-blade executive razor plus trial sizes of shave butter, body cleanser, one-wipe Charlies. Then keep the blades coming for a few bucks more a month. Way cheaper than what you'll get at the grocery store, by the way. Get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash Eric. 39 after the hour, Eric Erickson here, the phone number 404-872-0750-1800, WSB-TALK. I, I have this, uh, look, I, uh, let me just put all my cards on the table for you. Uh, this, this obviously is not an endorsement. I, I'm any of the Republican nominees I'm happy to vote for. I, I like all the Republican nominees. I'm not taking a position. I'm not endorsing uh, any of the Republicans I, for, for governor. I think they're all good men. Uh, we'll all make great governors. I have to tell you, though, I have interviewed every single person for governor, including the Democrats, and Stacey Abrams was probably my favorite interview. She was extremely personable. Uh, she and Brian Kemp, to a degree, had the most laid-back personalities. Uh, they were willing to make fun of themselves, um, jokes. They, 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 they it's like they, they couldn't care less. They, they just, they, they were there to, to enjoy themselves and have a good interview. And I liked uh, Kemp and, and Abrams's just laid back style. Uh, they were much more conversational, but Abrams' interview impressed me the most. She, she knew her policy, was able to relate, relate it. And I think she is making a strategic miscalculation, as are the Democrats in the state of Georgia. Uh, she is uh, running out very, very hard, getting a lot of liberal endorsements. Um, the The state's most prominent gay rights group has now supported her. That is Georgia Equality. She's got Planned Parenthood. And the Democracy Alliance people, who are bad news, um, they're out to support her. And she's now being tied. The Washington Free Beacon uncovered this. Uh, the Democracy Alliance, they had a conference in Atlanta. Stacey Abrams was one of the big keynotes there. And one of the big things on the agenda was reparations, payments to descendants of slaves. Now, Abrams says the topic did not come up when she was there. But this group is a huge proponent of slave reparations, also universal health care. Uh, the group is a huge proponent of uh, slave reparations. They believe that championing slave reparations will drive Democratic, particularly black voters, to the polls. They think it's a good idea. They think um, white voters need to cough up the money to pay uh, black voters in America slave reparations. It is not a mainstream idea. It is a very hardcore left idea. And I think that Abrams... 
risks easily being defined by this issue. Well, and you know, it's not just that. When they had the, the Nutroots Nation conference in Atlanta, Stacey Evans spoke, and there were a bunch of Abrams supporters there who were shouting her down merely for being white. And Stacey Abrams' campaign has denied she had anything to do with it. The, I think the Evans campaign is suspicious. The Abrams campaign did have something to do with it. Elizabeth Warren had to actually go on stage and rescue Stacey Evans from the bullies who were shouting her down for being white people. A left-wing activist protest group decided to protest Stacey Evans for being white. And now Stacey Abrams is getting the support of this left-wing national a group of major left-wing Democratic fundraisers who support slave reparations. Stacey Abrams, to be clear, is not on record supporting uh, reparations and says that it did not come up when she was at the meeting. But still, uh, it's it's having this group, Titi, and all the other left-wing groups who are supporting Abrams, it's going to be very, very hard for her to portray herself as mainstream when you get into the general election. Um, the issues where she may try to portray Republicans as extremists, for example, guns, um, it's, they aren't really extreme positions in Georgia. But some of the groups backing her are, are pretty extreme. And I think, as much as I think she is a, a, a super sharp person, she really is. I have a lot of respect for her, uh, particularly her willingness to come in and sit down and talk to me and have a good conversation. It wasn't combative at all, even if we disagreed. Uh, very funny and all that. But I, I think this is a strategic mistake on her part. And on the Democrats in general in Georgia, if this is going to be your standard bearer, to have someone with support from that many far-left groups, I don't think helps the Democrats in Georgia overall. Uh, her only saving grace is, will the Republicans in Georgia get their act together? I don't know. Uh, what I do know is we need to check traffic. You know, th this is going to be an interesting year because in 2000, go back to 2006. 2006 was a national Democratic wave. And it was also the year that the Republicans really fully solidified their power in the state of Georgia. I believe they got a super majority in the legislature. Uh, you got the governor, you, all, all of that uh, in 2006 as Republican power nationally was crumbling. And I suspect the Democrats are going to be able to pick up more seats in the Georgia legislature at this time. I, I do believe that the Republicans will not have nearly as many members of the House and Senate after the 2018 election this go-round. But I don't think that they will lose uh, any of the statewide races. Um, you may see one or two congressmen in jeopardy. Uh, Rob Woodall's district in Gwinnett, because of the demographic shifts in Gwinnett County um, and the, the anti-Trump sentiment out there, may be impacted. But this is still, I think, going to be a Republican year in Georgia, if not as overwhelmingly Republican as it had been in the past, uh, but it, the Republicans are, are being given a lot of ammunition by left-wing radical groups nationwide and here in Georgia to paint the Democrats in Georgia as completely out of touch with voters, including, and this is a big thing here, including being out of touch with black and Hispanic voters on cultural issues. And if the GOP can figure out how to play that up, um, they're going to do okay in Georgia. I'm not that worried about them. And we have a great competent Republican Party chairman in Georgia, too. All right, when we come back, we do need to move on, but I, I want to pick up one thing I said at the end. We've got a competent GOP chairman. Now, I actually never met the old GOP chairman, and I haven't met the current chairman either, but everyone I talk to says the, the new guy is actually very competent, gets the fundraising dynamics, uh, and gets that the party must build a lot of infrastructure on the ground for candidates at the county level. 
Uh, I remember back in the day um, when we had chairmen of the Republican Party who were absolutely committed to building field operations county by county in the state. And I don't know that I haven't been involved in my local Republican Party for a while, but I don't get the sense from talking to Republicans that they are as desperate for that now. Uh, and I think that they're, I would encourage the party in Georgia to to really remember that all things uh, change and, and come to an end. Good things come to an end and they really need to be on their A game and and the last, uh, really under the past chairman, I, I think the state grassroots kind of atrophied a bit and need to get back to it. So I, I'm encouraged to hear a lot of the grassroots folks in the state and, and county chairs speak very highly of the current GOP chairman. I, I haven't met him yet, uh, intend to, uh, but I never did know the last guy. So I don't know that it's important, but I do want to meet him. In any event, when we come back, uh, Andrew McCabe in the news, and this is just an example of media bias. Uh, this news should be bigger news, and it should have been before today's news about Andrew McCabe. There's James Comey news as well, and there's a whole lot more. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Notice how I said W, not W, as I have in the past and have been chastised for doing. Now, Andrew McCabe, he's in the news. This is actually pretty big news. This from CNN. The Justice Department's Inspector General referred its findings on former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe to the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington for possible criminal charges associated with lying to internal investigators, according to a source familiar with the matter. When exactly the referral was made to the U.S. Attorney's Office was not immediately clear, and prosecutors there may decline to prosecute. Last week, the IG issued a report finding McCabe lacked candor on four occasions with internal investigators when discussing a Wall Street Journal article about the FBI's Clinton Foundation investigation, according to a copy of the report obtained by CNN. Here's the thing, folks. If Andrew McCabe had been leaking to the press to destroy a Democrat and had been protecting a Republican, there would be nonstop wall-to-wall coverage. Don Lemon would be looking inside black holes for the Malaysian airline jet to see if Andrew McCabe was hiding out on it. This should be big news, and it's only big news today, you should know, uh, because this is new. Uh, and the media does have to cover these things so they can then say, oh, well, yeah, we, we covered this. We've already covered this. We don't have to cover it anymore. Um, but the fact of the matter is you have a partisan. His wife is a Democrat partisan who got money from Terry McAuliffe. And McCabe himself has behaved as a partisan uh, in an operation to protect the Clintons to leak information damaging to Donald Trump. And by the way, we now know that Andrew McCabe lied to Donald or to James Comey. Andrew McCabe, let me say that again, lied to James Comey. I think that is a pretty big and substantive deal. Um, McCabe told James Comey, apparently he was not the source of leaks. McCabe told the inspector general that James Comey had authorized him to leak information. Uh, and in at least one occasion, my understanding is he denied 
that he was a source and the inspector general found that he did. Now, what's so important here is that the inspector general is a Barack Obama appointee who the left in the past has praised. So it's going to be very, very hard for the left to attack the um, to attack the inspector general. Because he's a Barack Obama, he Bush appointed him and Obama appointed him to various IG positions throughout the government. Um, a uh, let's see, a a McCabe spokesperson and and the DOJ, everybody else, they uh, declined to comment on the situation, uh, which is all well and good. I think there's going to be a prosecution here. I think there should be a prosecution here. If it were if he were protecting a Republican, the left would be demanding his head. And that's just the God's honest truth, and you all know it. Uh, so he should be prosecuted. And I, I should go to traffic. There's some other news out of the Department of Justice we also need to talk about. One is James Comey. Um, the DOJ is going to deliver the Comey memos to Congress. The Comey memos, you may recall, are kind of what predicated the Mueller investigation. Now, the real, the, the precipitating act was Donald Trump firing Comey, but then it came out that Comey had a number of memos he had written, um, and those memos um, were about his encounters with the president. And uh, so they're going to go to Congress. Congress has been seeking them. The DOJ has refused to give them in the past. They're now going to get them. Uh, the House Republicans had threatened to subpoena them. And, well, it looks like they're going to go over now. Um, John Ratcliffe, he's a Republican from Texas, says there's an urgency there since James Comey's out there talking about the memos now. Republicans actually want to see what James Comey recorded at the time. Now, some of them have leaked. Remember his friend who turns out to be a um, lawyer who he's now claiming was his lawyer who has more attorney-client privilege than Michael Cohen uh, has uh, said that Comey sent them to him and he released them. And no one's going to prosecute him for that. A lot of these things, though, I'm, again, I don't think that Comey, yeah, he may have started the investigation, but the thing that's going to get President Trump in trouble is President Trump. If President Trump fires Bob Mueller, you know, he was asked about that in the press conference yesterday with uh, the Japanese prime minister. And he said, well, they're still on the job, Rosenstein and, and Mueller. Hadn't fired either of them. And I really do think that it is going to be the president's reactions to all of this that really shape things. And if the president continues to ignore Comey, I think it hurts Comey's book sales. Comey had an interview with Jake Tapper in the four o'clock hour on CNN, and they were promoting the heck out of it, but there's there's nothing new there. And I actually intend to sound like a broken record on this because I want to repeat it over and over every day. That the thing that makes James Comey newsworthy is the thing the media won't cover about him. And that is that James Comey, who was the director of the FBI, who wrote all these memos about his encounter with President Trump, who believed that President Trump tried to get him to back off the Mike Flynn investigation, tried to get him to back off the Russia collusion investigation, all of that, and he continued to investigate that James Comey does not believe there's a there there worthy of impeachment. And that should be the big news. And it is not the big news because the media is the left, and the left wants the president impeached. And James Comey doesn't agree with them.
That is the big news. I mean, that James Comey thinks the president behaves like a mob boss. I said that in 2016. That James Comey thinks the president is, is a stain on everyone who come, comes against him. Hillary Clinton said that in 2016. That James Comey thinks that the president is not an honest man. Uh, Ted Cruz, John Kasich, Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush, Carly Fiorina, um, everybody except Chris Christie in the Republican field said that in 2016. I mean, all of the things that they're blowing up uh, about saying, can you believe James Comey said this? is all stuff that everyone else said in 2016. It has been well litigated against the president, and it has not affected him one way or the other. So I don't know that there's news there. And if the president continues to ignore Comey, as he has done in the last 48 hours, I don't believe, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe there's been a tweet about Comey in the last 48 hours. I think he fades pretty quickly. He fades quicker than the Parkland kids, which, by the way, as an aside, just just complete wild tangent here. The only two things that have changed since the Parkland High School shooting and the little activists going out bullying Laura Ingram and corporations and yelling about needing gun laws and, and Rick Scott caving and raising the rifle purchase age to 21, the only th- two things that have really changed substantively in America are Donald Trump's job approval ratings have gone up and the Democrats' popularity on the generic ballot have gone down. That's all you need to know about how gun control works as an issue in this country for the Democrats. So I'm going to engage in a little bit of shameless self-promotion at this moment. My apologies to the bosses. Um, I got to film a bit of a cooking video this afternoon, making red beans and rice uh, for my new series that's coming out on CRTV which actually hasn't officially been announced, but is coming. We've done the first five episodes and we we've added some fillers. Um, like for example, we had a lot of conversations on family and community stuff. We've talked about here on, on the show, uh, the need to turn off the screens and, and hang up the phones and stop answering them and looking at the screens and spend some family time. So we, we did a walkthrough. We, we did three segments today, filmed a very quick segment on just the board games that we play family game night in our house, uh, where we turn off the iPads and the phones and uh, just sit around the table and enjoying each other's company. Um, filmed a segment on the different devices you can use to help monitor and control your kids time on devices and, and internet, uh, including what we use in our house, which is called circle by Disney. Uh, and then got to film the, the red beans and rice cooking segment, showing people how to make a pot of red beans and rice. Um, and very excited to see this thing come to fruition. Uh, also have another potential big one out there, but if you would like this, so the CRTV is subscription based and they have a bunch of shows. Michelle Malkin has a show, Steven Crowder, Mark Levin, uh, Gavin McGinnis, uh, and they're adding several others. They will be announcing our show soon called the resurgent family. And it will be my conversations with experts on how to get your family through the culture war, essentially, how to get your family through the 21st century, how to help your kids on the Internet, um, ideas for family mealtime, things like that. Uh, fun stuff. Uh, looking forward to it. I hope you'll be interested in it. we got to get 2,000 subscribers to CRTV for it. If you want more information, text the word FAMILY to 345-345. Text the word FAMILY to 345-345. Uh, very excited for you guys to see this. They're going to start rolling out the episodes starting next month. Uh, when we come back, uh, one of the things that we talked about on the CRTV episode, uh, one of the episodes is human trafficking. 
Atlanta is a hotbed of human trafficking. And because the president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, has signed a law clamping down on human trafficking, you will be unsurprised to learn people on the left are now coming out saying it's really not a big deal when it is a huge deal. And, and credit where it is due to Clay Tippins running for governor in Georgia, who makes it a big issue in all of his campaign ads. It is a huge deal. And we do need to talk about this issue. However uncomfortable it is, we'll make it sanitized if you have kids in the car. But you need to hear this when we come back. Let me stop for just a minute and promote one of our sponsors. Thanks to Dollar Shave Club for sponsoring this week's show. And, you know, I was actually one of the original members of Dollar Shave Club. Back in the day, I was a lawyer when they came out. They had that awesome ad, and I totally bought into it because I was tired of paying for my razors um, at the grocery store price. It is a great company, and the razors are very, very solid. You go to dollarshaveclub.com, and you can see they got more than just razors, and it's so much better than shop in a grocery store and you know so I got they sent me a packet before this promo began as if I needed them because I got some um, but they got a great razor and they've got great shave cream they've got a body cleanser they even have the one wipe Charlie's I'll let you decide whether or not you like them or not but you know it's a great it's a great product uh, really really do like it uh, their Dr. Carver shave butter is fantastic and given that I am prone to rashes and whatnot I only shave every other day because of it I'm sure sure you wanted to know that um but it actually works and i don't break out uh so i highly do recommend dollar shave club i have been a dollar shave club member for well gosh i was a lawyer it's been a long time since i've you how long have they been around? i don't know anyway they've been around forever um solid solid company great people great idea too they were the first you got all these other competitors out there and they were the first to come out and say you know what we can beat the other guys so a great innovator. You can clean up your bathroom and your morning routine. Join Dollar Shave Club today for just $5. With free shipping, you'll get the six-blade executive razor plus trial sizes of shave butter, body cleanser, one-wipe Charlie's. Then keep the blades coming for a few bucks more a month. Way cheaper than what you'll get at the grocery store, by the way. Get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash Eric. 39 after the hour. It's Eric Erickson here. I, this issue, I, I will talk about this in a delicate way. Um, but it is an issue near to my heart, as it is, I know, to some of you in the audience who have written me about it. Uh, back in 2007, I ran for city council down in Macon, where we were living at the time. Worst job ever. Um, but the only reason I ran is because I noticed one night uh, I had to go downtown to do a TV hit, and there were, I want to say, 10 uh, Asian-themed massage parlors between my house and downtown, which wasn't a 10-minute drive, and they were all busy. And during the day, I never noticed them before because during the day, they're, they're closed up. Um, some of them had the open neon light on, but otherwise they, there was no presence. There was no one parked there, and it really got me suspicious. Well, what the heck is going on? And a, a lady in Gwinnett County reached out to me named Marlene, and she had had a similar situation in Gwinnett County and had started researching, realizing that a lot of these places are fronts for human trafficking. And I talked to local authorities, I talked to the FBI, and, and it was very, very obvious and abundantly clear that, in fact, um, there is a human trafficking problem in a Department of Justice report. Uh, that was drafted by Janet Reno, issued by John Ashcroft right after the transfer of power in 2001. 
uh, noted that within 30 minutes of military installations in the southeast United States, you will often find Asian-themed massage parlors, many of which are fronts for human trafficking. Not all, but most. Uh, maybe not even most, but a, a good number of them. And that the, the women there tend to be victims of human trafficking, and money flows to the Northwest and then from the Northwest over into Asia to help the Japanese mafia, among others, uh, and also the drug trade and whatnot. We have crossed a tipping point in this country where even the Obama administration began cracking down enough on the human trafficking issue and even border crossings, believe it or not. I know. Um, but there are now more American kids kidnapped into human trafficking than uh, our women are smuggled, women and children are smuggled into this country. It still happens. It's just there are more victims that are American now uh, or illegal aliens kidnapped in the United States. And there is a growing trend on the left to minimize it. And it is a partisan ideological issue. There is, as part of this, I guess they call them third-wave feminists, the really obnoxious ones who have zero sense of humor, um, they believe that prostitution is a consensual act. It should not be a crime. The libertines out there do as well. And they have decided to base their argument on people are overstating human trafficking. That if a woman uh, wants to use her body to make money, she should be allowed to. The problem is the women who you will speak to who are proud of being prostitutes are few and far between. And even of those that you talk to who are proud of it, many of them have done it for so long and they got into it because they were lured in by drugs, alcohol, and violence and abuse. That it is a matter of Stockholm Syndrome. BuzzFeed ran a report yesterday by two supposed researchers who basically they asked a 16-year-old prostitute if she had a pimp. And she's like, oh, yeah, it's my friend who's 18. You know, the first thing you do, the first thing you'll be told by researchers in human trafficking is don't take the word of the 16-year-old who in many cases has been brainwashed, in many cases has been abused, um, plied full of drugs, become addicted to drugs through that, uh, used and abused repeatedly, told you can't go home because your parents won't want you back given what you've done. You might as well accept this and like it. And they're not going to tell you, yes, uh, I was kidnapped as a child and uh, forcibly injected with heroin to develop an addiction so that I couldn't leave and then used and abused and told I had to do this to get my next fix. But that's actually what's happening in many of these cases. And it's horrific to me to see people on the left in particular um, playing this down. Some libertarians, they're really libertines, playing it down as well. It is a huge and growing problem. Y'all, we've had situations in Atlanta and elsewhere with uh, mostly girls, but also boys who were victims or near victims of human traffickers. I have interviewed a lady, Michelle Rickett, from Atlanta who has, has dedicated her life to fighting human trafficking. And the stories are all too real and common. Oftentimes kids lured over the internet. You cannot make this stuff up. And you should not downplay it, and yet the left is. And again, i got to give credit to Clay Tippins for making this a big issue in his campaign because Atlanta, according to the FBI, according to the Department of Justice, according to all the nonprofits out there, Atlanta is a hotbed of human trafficking right now. It is a huge issue in our area, and no one seems to want to pay attention to it, um, and we should. Uh, so I apologize for going long and making you wait on traffic, but we had to talk about that. Let's go check tra traffic. All right. Uh I, I'm going to leave behind that subject. I hope you will meditate on it uh, and understand that Atlanta 
has a huge problem that no one wants to talk about, uh, and we really should. And it's infuriating that the left is downplaying it. Uh, what one of the things the left is is upplaying, which is also just infuriating, is is this attack on Sean Hannity. Uh, look, I think Hannity should have disclosed uh, that he was on the client list, and we know he knew because the lawyer said in court that um, the third client had asked them not to reveal himself um, because he didn't want to be embarrassed and, and had nothing to do with any of it, and that's when the judge um, made him be outed. Uh, so we, we knew he knew it was coming, and it just uh, crisis management 101, you should get out ahead of it and tell people, uh, and, and you define the story. But I've got to tell you, uh, I I think the the attacks are outrageous on Hannity. Uh, he's it has nothing to do with the Cohen investigation. It has nothing to do with the Trump investigation. Nothing to do with any of it. And I don't really think that the judge did have to require him to be outed. Um, but the way the left is is spinning this absolutely is ridiculous partisan attack. And I, I went through the litany of reporters the other day married to Democrats who never bothered to disclose that. And they're suddenly outraged that a commentator on Fox News says talk radio show host um, who everyone already knew was friends with these people didn't say anything. Yeah, he should have. Um, but really, who cares? Y'all, it looks like that uh, Mike Pompeo is going to be confirmed secretary of state, which is good. Heidi Heitzkamp of uh, North Dakota is the first Democrat to flip in his favor, which probably gives him the margin of victory he needs. It really is telling the level of partisanship among Democrats these days. Forget the Republicans for a minute. Just look at the Democrats. you got Mike Pompeo, who has been highly respected. No one disputes he's a great CIA chief. He has been laying the groundwork for a historic summit with North Korea, and the Democrats don't want to vote for him um, because Trump nominated him. That's it. Uh, which is crazy. I mean, we, we don't have an ambassador in Germany right now. There is apparently an anti-American event allowed to be held by bureaucrats at the American embassy in Berlin um, that the Democratic holdovers from the Obama administration who are still there because we don't have an ambassador in place uh, let happen. Um, the irresponsibility is staggering uh, from the Democrats just not confirming people. And this is a fight to be had if the Republicans will have the fight. Now, we are out of time. I am Eric Erickson. This is WSB. I will talk to you guys tomorrow. Have a good night.